Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. What's up, Coach Nation? Coach Cahill here to talk to you today about the behind-the-scenes life of a college football coach with Akron coach Anthony Caljean. I highly recommend you give Coach Caljean's podcast, Stay in the Fight, a listen where he hears stories from current college coaches about how they got to where they were and the unexpected twists along the way. Caljean keeps it real, doesn't lie, and as promised, is just as engaging as his TikTok videos and tweets were, but in person. Enjoy. All right, cool. All right, coach. So how did coaching find you? Most of the time, coaches. (laughs) Yeah. So what's your super secret origin story? How did coaching find you? Uh, I don't know if I have a super secret origin story. I think it was like my my sophomore year of college. um, I I was a law major. I got uh, an internship with a a, a representative um, for the the house. Uh, And it was just one of those things, you know, I'm working nine to five wearing the suit and tie, sitting at the, 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 the desktop all day, just like pretty bored, to be honest with you. I played a lot of free cell. I learned how to play free cell. Um, but it'd be like, you know, I get done, I, I'd go home, eat, and then I'd go and train. And then when I was done training, you know, from, from my season, uh, our high school was like practicing at the time. So I'd just stick around and like hang out and like just help out the quarterbacks or linebackers or, you know, whoever I could help out. Um, and it was just like one day my mom's like, you know, if you enjoyed doing that so much, like, why don't you coach? And I'm like, you can't do that. And then I'm like sitting there thinking about it, like, wait, I could get paid to just like hang out with the guys. Like that's, that's awesome. So I think that's kind of when the seed was planted. Um, and then when I graduated my high school coach, he, he was my defensive coordinator. He became the, the head coach. Uh, and obviously I was helping him out during the summers was like, Hey, like, do you want to do this? And like, I'll, I'll try to help you find a job in the you know, in the district and, you know, the rest is history. So it was just kind of, kind of fell into it to be honest with you, but uh, it's, it's been really, really awesome since. And, and what position group have you been mostly working with out at Akron? Akron. I mean, I'm truly special teams at Akron. Okay. Um, so I'm doing, you know, all the film breakdown and uh, like the scout teams and stuff like that. This past spring, I was kind of shadowing the, the running backs, which has been really awesome. Uh, my first year in college, I actually coached running backs. And then I've been basically on defense ever since. And I've mostly had linebackers. So it's like very, you know, very similar, um, kind of always going directly against each other. So uh, especially to, to come into the Akron system where it's like an NFL system, uh, crashes heads with like a, a, an RPO spread system. I've learned so much in the past three months. It's been awesome. So I'd say, I guess, running backs. Gotcha. And Special teams, usually most, it's funny, most football players don't grow up wanting to be the kicker or the punter, maybe except me. Mm-hmm. Um, but most most people, kicking usually finds them. Special teams usually finds coaches too. Uh, how did you fall into special teams? I mean, special teams it was one of those things that, like, I was never a star at Lafayette. My only ch- chance to get on the field was special teams. Um, and then, you know, once I got to Ursinus, uh, which, you know, was my, was where I came from before I, I got to Akron, uh, D3 right outside Philadelphia. Um, my first year I was a defensive line coach. My second year I was promoted to a uh, special teams coordinator. And I kind of just ran what, what I'd ran in college and some of the things that we were run, already running at our sinus. Um, 
but then as you know, you, you start to dive into it and you start to understand it more. Uh, you start to game plan it a little bit more. You start to understand things better. Uh, I just, you know, got really interested in it. Uh, and then over the course of quarantine, I, I hopped on a bunch of Zoom calls, a bunch of clinics and all that stuff connected with Coach Hurd at Akron, um, which is kind of how when, you know, that, that position opened up, you know, he was excited to have somebody who had, you know, coordinator experience who, you know, he could bounce ideas off of and stuff like that. So coming in here has been awesome. Like I, I didn't even, I don't, I didn't know special teams that are science. Like I thought I did, uh, but I, I only <laughs> knew the tip of the iceberg. So uh, it's been really awesome to just understand, you know, similar to like the offense and defense, like the X's and O's and the, the chess match that special teams is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we saw it in the draft last week that it was always the guys, obviously there's offense and defensive guys, that were drafted and that's how they're portrayed on ESPN. But the commentators, if you dig like the second level of the scouting reports, all these guys were really great special teams contributors. Mm-hmm. And I think in college too, and even in high school, there's a very strong misunderstanding about like freshmen's ability to contribute at the, at the position they would like to play. Like, okay, we brought you as a wide receiver. Cool. But we need you to contribute right now as a gunner. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about, uh, maybe the importance of special teams for getting on the field for college freshmen? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time. You know, nobody's going to Alabama to be the left guard, like you're saying. They want to be the linebacker, the safety. Um, but the truly, truly great teams, when you're watching film, like you'll see Devontae Smith is playing gunner. He's doing things on punt return, not necessarily always returning. Like uh, he, he was out there trying to block kicks and stuff like, the best players need to be involved in your special teams if you want to be a great program. Um, and just, you know, one of my, the first things that I, I had to do when I got to Akron um, was, you know, we're trying to incentivize our guys like, Hey, you know, if you want to make an NFL roster, you're going to make it through special teams. Uh, and we, we did a, a deep study into, you know, guys that stick around the, the league for a while uh, guys who, you know, even like third round on, like you're saying second round on um, if you, can't contribute on special teams and you know your value is a wide receiver or a wide receiver and someone who can do something on kickoff kickoff return they're going to go with the guy who has that extra value so um you know especially for guys who are trying to make it uh professionally you need to be able to have that skill set uh of truly just being a football player and doing whatever you're asked to do um otherwise they will find someone who can do that sure i mean special teams is so so important Right. And then also too thinking about um, especially like away game rosters where your numbers might be limited. Like most teams don't mm-hmm. bring the whole platoon the whole time. So if, if it's two linebackers of equal ability, but one's a better special teams guy, that guy's going to get the seat on the bus because he wears more than one hat. Um, Absolutely. Can you talk about what we'll transition a little bit. We're in the thick of recruiting season. Um, what is the single greatest misconception about college football recruiting that you find you need to continually dispel for recruits or families that you're working with throughout the recruiting process? Ooh, that one's tough just because there are so many things that, and like, you know, <laughs> you on Twitter, more I try to be, yeah, I try to be the recruiting guru and like hit a lot of these. Oh, things. you kill it on. You guys should all check him out on Twitter too, by the way, he, he puts out some fire stuff. I appreciate that. But I'd say the biggest thing is 
like the the idea that kids are being overlooked or um you know like coach how do i get exposure like i'm a dog blah blah blah. like they have to realize there's a million kids playing high school football okay of those million kids only a few like thousand will play college football at any level and uh, you know of those you know thousand there's only so many that are going to get division one scholarships there's just not that 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 many that go around there's i think it's 129 fbs programs each program has 25 scholarships a year like it's it's not as many as you think so um i i think that maybe kids just don't have a realistic understanding of of where they fit and you know obviously everyone has the the, the dream of running out you know on clemson's field or something like that um but it's just not going to be a reality for most people and i think either, you know, their, their high school coaches, their parents need to be a little bit more realistic and kind of a, a approach them uh, that way. Um, but, you know, I just get, and, you know, I used to get a lot of messages when I was a division three coach, you know, now it's like absurd. Um, and I just can't get back to everybody. So, right. you know, I'm relying on high school, like high school coaches recommendations. I'm, we're relying on you know, different uh, scouting services and stuff like that to like help, you know, go through like, cause like I said, like there are thousands of kids in, in my messages, you know, how am I going to pick out the, the ones that actually fit Akron and what we're looking for athletically, academically, all that stuff. So um, I think it's just kind of, you know, being honest and transparent and getting like a real evaluation uh, of where you are in the process. Can you tell us how many unread messages you might have across all your inboxes like twitter dm I mean, text emails honestly i i feel really bad because like up until i got to akron and even like probably like my first like two or three months at akron i responded to every single message that i got that i was ncaa legally allowed to um but now it's it's just way way too many it's easily hundreds upon hundreds it might be in the thousands at this point um but it's just you know like you said, like if I put out a tweet, like, you know, some, some recruiting tip and you see that it gets 500 likes, well, there's a thousand kids that just messaged me like off of that, that, that tweet. Cause they think like, okay, like this is my time to shine. And it's just, as I said, it's impossible to get back to everybody. Sure. And I think there's, I've never talked to a coach that like is not remorseful about that because I think most coaches played in college and they empathize. They wouldn't be coaches if they didn't want to work with every kid that came their way but at some point like unless you have an army of like 10 assistants you know like your jeff bezos or something like it's just not possible to always get back to you um can you talk about uh maybe some of uh, some advice some non-football advice for the recruiting process so we had willie edwards on here um mm -hmm. a couple episodes ago and most of what we talked about was like the non-football things that were that he was looking for in terms of how players conducted themselves, um, especially on like zoom calls, because I think in adults struggle with this too, just because you're in your house doesn't mean you act like you're not at work, even though you're not really at work. Mm -hmm. um, so could you give us like your tips for, or I guess what, what are you looking for in a non-football sense and a character sense um, and in like a, a people skills sense when you're working with recu with recruits aside from the football ability yeah absolutely i think you know the three things that that always come to my mind when i'm 
I'm recruiting a kid are, you know, the first thing is, is he, is he a good kid? Is he a good person? Uh, and like right away, the first thing that, that we do is, like I said, get that recommendation from that high school coach. Um, Cause we know this kid's only going to come through the process once we're going to have to go back to this high school coach over and over and over again. And if we want to, you know, continue to do business with this coach, like he's got to be honest with us. We got to, we got to trust in them. Um, so getting a great recommendation from, from your high school coach is going to go a long way. Uh, and then obviously like just through the recruiting process, we want to find out about who they are as a person, you know, what, what's their dream? You know, are they a, a motivated kid? Are they a leader? Um, so we're asking a million and one questions, having conversations. Um, I know one kind of hot button that, that pops up a lot now um, is like talking to a, a, a recruits champion, you know, whether that be, you know, an older brother who went through the recruiting process, an uncle, dad, mom, whatever, but also talking to them, not only about, you know, what we can do for, for their child, but is there something that your kid's not telling us that, that we should know about them? Um, and again, like it doesn't have to necessarily be an incriminating thing, but like what really drives them? You know, why are they this way? Why, why do they want to, you know, go on, uh, down this path and, and, you know, do this major and do this thing, go to this, you know, region of the country or, or whatever. Um, but just finding out all those whys uh, to, to really, you know, not only understand who they are, but to project who they're going to be in three or four years, especially like for us in the Mac, you know, we're not getting like the, the five-star recruit or four-star recruit. We're getting two and three-star kids that we want to turn into the four or five-star. So um, I, I think, yeah, number one is going to be you know, who, who you are as a person. Number two is, are, are you a good student? Because uh, and this might be my division three background coming from a couple high academic schools, but you're a student athlete. So you're a student first. Um, and anywhere I've ever been, like if you had a meeting with a professor at the same time you had a meeting with, you know, your, your position coach, you got to go to that meeting with the professor because that's going to trump all. Um, so I, I think that you have to be invested in your academics. Um, does everybody have to be good at school or whatever, what, what have you? Uh, not necessarily, but I, I think that uh, you need to do what, what you have to do to check the boxes and, you know, make sure that you're eligible. Uh, obviously, kids with better grades, I, I I like those kids a little bit more just because I feel like they're, they're more, you know, motivated internally. Um, but definitely, you know, not missing any classes, no tardies, uh, no absences, or, you know, we're, we're checking the, the transcripts right away. Uh, and then that final piece would be that, that, that athletic piece, you know, probably more, are you a good football player? Uh, do you make instinctive plays and, and do some, you know, twitchy things before the measurables? Um, you know, measurables are probably more for like Penn State, but we have our certain, you know, list of characteristics that we want to see out of an offensive tackle has to be six, six plus or, or whatever it may be. Um, and then as you go down, you know, at division three, I, I had linebackers that were five, nine, two fifteen, but were awesome, awesome football players. Um, so uh, I think, you know, if you're lacking in those measurable categories, you know, that's where you got to go find a great program that, that fits you and what you, you want to do you know, not only that those four years, but for the rest of your life. Uh, and you can have just as good of an experience as someone who went to the, the FBS, Power 5, D2, whatever level. And um, to to kind of piggyback on that, so I think that's, you know, a lot of kids think that, like, their tape is the, the biggest thing. And some coaches say, you know, like, you are what your tape says, and that's important. But 
every coach after that will say, okay, well, I'm going to be stuck with you for four years too. So like, are you a nice mm-hmm. person? And I had this conversation with a kid who's asking me, you know, what are these, what are the college summer recruiting camps going to be like? Cause obviously we didn't have any last year. And I said, and this was a kicker. And I said, look, if you hit 10 balls, try to hit a cup, you know, if you hit like hit them clean, whatever, but what you're really mm-hmm. there to do is to, I don't want to say schmooze, but you're there to be personable. You're there to get to know the coaches, shake hands, make eye contact, ask them questions about themselves, their families, the school program, you know, like to mm-hmm. be found interesting by a coaching staff, you need to show interest first. Uh, your goal is to, you know, I'm kind of preaching, but I wanted you to speak on, I saw a couple of your tweets regarding um, summer recruiting camps because we know mm-hmm. like last year, all the ranking services, it was like the biggest feast in the world for them because every college camp got shut down. So now these ranking services are like cranking up the FOMO. Oh, COVID's out. Get your exposure. Give me your $500 mm-hmm. deposit. You know, you could be number one right now. You just have to prove it. Right. And what like perfect marketing for the age group you're trying to sell it to but young men who might not have fully estimated their abilities realistically. Um, tell us uh, your, your advice for like, uh, I guess, why should you opt to do the college run recruiting camp over the private ranking service? I mean, I mean, first of all, the college camps, like all the big exposure camps, you know, Nike, whatever they, they may be college coaches aren't allowed at those. So you're not actually getting, exposure to colleges like maybe you'll get like you know some film of you posted on their twitter page or something like that that a college coach might come across or your number is verified or something like that but if you want to be recruited by colleges like you need to perform in front of those colleges so uh you need to get out to the schools that are recruiting you or you have interest in um and it's exactly what you're saying like coaches want to work with you and i remember when i was a, a young coach I was working at Lehigh camp and the Lehigh offensive line coach is going off on these guys. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, I guess you made your 50 bucks and like, now you're just like shredding these kids. But, you know, afterward I was like, Hey coach, like I saw you getting after those guys. He's like, you know, I'm going to yell during summer camp. I'm going to yell on the field. I need to see how they're going to take that. You know, who's going to shut down, who's going to get frustrated, who's going to get upset. And, you know, on the other side, like who's going to rise to the occasion who's going to be challenged and then do better and, and continue to, to work harder. So um, yeah, coaches want to see how you're going to take their coaching, how you can run through their indie and do the things that they want to do. Um, and as I said, like not only physically, but mentally, and, you know, are you going to be a leader of the group? Or are you going to be the one that like, Hey, break it down, go get some water that brings up that group and gives the breakdown and then, you know, runs them off. Or are you a guy that's going to be standing in the back of the line you know, just trying to hide and not really participate. And what's your, I guess, what would be your advice for, I, I guess uh, the question would be like, what's your view of ranking camps? And I come at it from the kicking universe where there's, you know, 200 five-star kickers or six-star now, now that's a thing. Um, whereas you look on 24-7 sports, there's maybe like, two or three true five-star wide receivers a year. So there's, there's definitely a disconnect. Um, I guess, what are, what do you think rankings as a current college coach at a, at a FBS school? What do you think 
the use the usefulness of rankings are and why are they make the case for them and against them, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. I think, you know, like I was saying before, there are so many kids to kind of sift through and, you know, the thousands of kickers that are out there, it makes it easier because, you know, like, Hey, like, you know, if we're looking at Coles or corn blue or any of these, these lists, you know, we know that we're only going to be interested in the top 30 kids or something like that. It's probably even less than that, to be honest with you. Um, but it just makes our pool of, of guys that we're, we're going to look at like that much smaller. Um, so it does help to, to get on those things. You know, the thing that is definitely kind of like wonky about kicking is, you know, you have like the sixth ranked kid in the country going to Memphis and then the seventh ranked kid going to like a division two somewhere. So it's like, you know, the, the, the scholarships that are out there for kickers or, you know, just specialists in general are so, you know, who knows who has them, which year where, you know, the positions you're probably taking, you know, a linebacker every year, maybe a couple D line, a couple O line every year. Um, but I do think, you know, the, the rankings help a little bit, but at the same time, like even with positions, like there are plenty of like three-star kids and, you know, I have Jersey. So I go to, I look at, I start off with the three-star kids because those are the kids that we know that we can get on campus at Akron. And there are some kids that I think are really, really good. And like, are better than some of the four-star kids that I saw or whatever their ranking is. And then there's some three-star kids that I, I have no idea how they got the ranking. I have no, like, no clue because they just, they wouldn't play for us. Like, you know, maybe they would have been good at our sinus. So um, I think it just kind of gives college coaches like a, a starting point, but it's definitely not the, the end all, all and be all by any means. Gotcha. Um can you talk a little bit about, we'll get more into the coaching side of things now. Um, what was maybe the biggest mistake you made early on as a young uh, college coach or, or it could be something you did or in general, what do you think is the biggest and most common mistake young coaches make when they're first starting out? Um, I think, you know, m probably my specific mistake. And I, I think I, I can kind of talk to, I guess. I think my specific mistake was, you know, I came from a program where we got yelled at, we got mother F, you know, um, and I thought that's the way that you were supposed to coach. So like my first, you know, my first two years, I was just a raving lunatic, like chasing guys around. And like, you know, it's funny now because it's like 10 years later and like I, I ran into like the, the high school kids that I coached at the time and they're like, man, you were crazy. But, you know, like we can laugh about it now, but like, I would never do anything like that now. Like, you know, I think you need to treat people with respect. Um, and, you know, maybe if they, they need a kick in the butt, you raise your voice a little bit, but the more that you do that, the, the less that they're going to respond to it. So uh, I think I came out just super, super hot. Um, and it, it definitely wasn't a good look. I'm kind of embarrassed about it now, but was I think there, I'm sorry. Was there like a specific epiphany moment when you were like, nah, this isn't working. So when I first got to Franklin and Marshall, uh, I was working for a guy named Craig Sutyak, who he went on to be the, the defense coordinator at Lehigh. And he was just, he was very methodical, really, really smart. And, you know, if a kid was having a bad day or did something wrong, pulled him aside, kind of talked to him. Uh, and then, you know, we went about our business and I was like, okay, like that's, that's really interesting. And it didn't, didn't, you know, strike a chord yet, but it was the following year when he left and we got a new defensive coordinator in there who was, 
the raving lunatic, the, the guy who wouldn't stop yelling, would never turn off like football coach mode. Like, and I just saw the way that he turned kids off and the way that like he divided the room and like, it was like literally like everything bad about football. So that's when I was like, wow, like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be associated like that. So, uh, I can't say enough about what I learned from coach Setyak. Um, and then I think I also learned like what not to do and how not to treat people. So, uh, it was a very, very interesting two years there. So, um, I think that's, uh, yeah, for sure. Do you think that some football coaches and I guess coaches in general are afraid or do, do you feel like some coaches just never like know how to toggle between being a normal person and you said football coach mode? Can you define what you mean by football coach mode and then talk about like when you're, I guess, in football coach mode versus being like a normal person with your players? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, when you're just talking about football constantly and like, you know, you see them in the hall and instead of like being like, hey, what's up? Like, How's your day going? You know, or you're sitting, you know, at the lunch table. Oh, like, you know, how's the semester going? It's, hey, you know, on this play, you need to do this and this. Or, you know, you got to make sure that you're in the weight room extra early tomorrow. And like, you know, there's just no conversation outside of football. Uh, and I think, honestly, that's that's one of the, the bad things about football and like the, the coaching profession right now is, you know, I feel like that's kind of more of an old school mentality um, where like nowadays, like kids want to know the why. Why are they doing things? They're not just going to do it because you guys have been doing it for 15 years, 20 years or whatever it is. Um, and they, they, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, they don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And there's still a lot of coaches in the profession that are like, okay, these are my chess pieces. These are, they're going to just do this and this and, you know, never ask why, never question it and just, you know, run into a brick wall, run into a brick wall. Um, when really, you know, I, I think it's about the players and like the reason I got into coaching is just, you know, the friends that I made at Lafayette and in college were the best friends that I've ever had. Like, I know, like if I were homeless next week, I could go live in any of their houses. They wouldn't ask a question for like at least three months, you know, you're good um, for yeah, 12 weeks and you got to bounce. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, like I just, I, I love being around the kids and stuff like that. So, uh, I just, I don't understand that mentality. And as I said, uh, I've been around coaches who are like it. So I've seen it turn kids off and I've seen the coaches who embrace the kids and get to know the kids and love them up um, and just how much more willing that those kids are to do everything that you ask them to do you know what I mean right and that's um, yeah it's fun and I feel like obviously last chance you make sure you know great watching on Netflix but you see like the coach you know I forget the coach's name uh, from seasons two and three the you know obviously mm -hmm. at Independence College he had quite the rep because every other word out of his mouth was the F word. And he's like always beating mm -hmm. players up. Um, and there definitely seems to be like a generational divide on how to, on the philosophy of football. There's like, on one hand, it's like, okay, well, I can't make excuses for kids. We got to toughen them up. Like, you know, this, this is what real life's going to be like. And there's a time and place for that. And then the other hand, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, these kids are going through real stuff. You have to explain why you're doing things. If they don't feel like you know who they are as a person, they're not going to, I don't know, mm -hmm. they're, they're not going to want to play for you. Um, you said, so basically we're kind of talking about switching between being a football coach and being a normal person. Um, being a college football coach and having a personal life is like often like an oxymoron. 
Um, Mm -hmm. but I think for younger coaches listening, and I think it's a good topic in general, it doesn't matter the level of play. Most coaches, unless you're one of those top tier college coaches or an NFL coach, you know, you're not making millions of dollars. Um, so nobody really does it for the money. Um, but it does take a toll, not toll, but it is a significant time commitment. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about, I guess, how are you, can you talk about your approach to, balancing the need the demands of being an fbs coach with like a personal life and like trying to like work out or go to church or something and like be mm-hmm. normal like make sure you're eating food like <laughs> absolutely no I, I think that you know i think especially at the fbs level where there's a little bit more pressure to win um everybody's trying to be smarter than everybody else uh and there's only so many things that you can do that are sound at least um so I, i'm a big believer in recruiting really, really hard, because if you have great players, you can run whatever you want to run. Um, like there is no secret sauce. Like everybody in America right now is running like rip Liz match, like the stuff that Nick Saban runs, but there's a reason that they're back there every year. You know what I mean? They're, they're in the national championship and it's not because of the defense. It's because of the players. It's because of the way that they develop their players, the, their process as a, as a whole. Um, so I think if you focus more on that stuff and less on, all the crazy schematics and, you know, who cares if, you know, so-and-so team runs inside zone on third and two, 29% of the time in the green zone or whatever, like, are you, are you really going to remember that, you know, randomly throughout the game? And it doesn't matter what, what, you know, it matters what your kids know. So uh, if you make it more about your players and, and what they're retaining, uh, allowing them to play fast and again like loving them pouring your heart and soul into them helping them to develop as football players as, as athletes you're gonna have a better chance to win um, so I think that is probably more of my more macro thought uh, of it um, on the more micro level it's just being prepared you know what I mean like I, when I used to like break down game film and I, I did it this past year for uh, special teams you know I'm not doing that Sunday morning or Saturday night, I'm doing that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So then when I do hit it, you know, uh, Sunday, I only have like the, the game from the night before. So just staying on top of it. So when I do have some downtime, I'm not filling it in with more work. I'm actually enjoying my downtime. Gotcha. And do you have, um, you're very well-spoken. So I can tell you've thought about this stuff. Um, do you have any type of like reflective practice where you are coaching yourself or like, so for example, some coaches or NFL guys I've had on, they'll say they pray, they'll say they meditate, they'll say they like journal. Some guys just say they like drink a cup of coffee in the morning by themselves. But I find anyway, like the, the highest performing coaches and players that I've encountered anyway, they'll engage in some type of like self-reflection. Um, do you mm-hmm. have a self-reflective practice and, and what might that look like for coaches listening? I think my kind of like daily meditative thing would probably be more like working out, um, especially at our sinus. Like we would, you know, game plan, do all the, the practice planning in the morning. And then I'd hit, it hit like 1230, one o'clock. I needed to get my workout in and like get my mind right and like switch over to, okay, now we're going to hit the field, have a little bit more energy. Um, from just like a self-reflection and, you know, just thinking about how I can improve myself, improve my process. 
I ask my players and I like, maybe I, I give like too much leeway to them. And I, I won't even say that, but I think it's again, like a very old school mentality that, okay, like this is the coach and this is what he does. Where like, I, I always tell my guys like, you know, this is a dialogue. It's not a monologue. Like I'm not going to just stand up here and talk at you. Like I, I, I put my guys on the board. I ask them, okay, like what drills, what drills do you guys like? What drills do we need to bring back? What drills do we need to get rid of? Cause we're not doing enough of it. All right. When we're on the whiteboard or watching film, you know, what, what, what stuff do you, are you guys hazy on? What stuff do you guys need to, to, to know better? What stuff am I spending too much time on? So I'm always asking them a lot and I'll do that in a couple of different avenues where it's not just like in person and asking them, like I've sent out Google sheets before that are like completely anonymous. Like, Hey, like here's your Google form, fill it out. Like, tell me honestly what like you think of my coaching style. What can we do to make the, the group better? All that stuff. Um, and you know, I'd say 90% of the time it's like just really positive feedback. Like coach, you're doing a great job and it makes you feel good. 5% of the time you get like some sort of like crazy thing that they're like, well, I think more freshmen need to play in the game. Like, okay, that's probably coming from a freshman and you know, you, you just don't know well enough yet, but then you also get like that 5% that is really, really like just well thought out. And you're like, okay, like I'm going to change my process. I'm going to change our process to better fit the needs of this group. Um, so I just think, you know, just asking your customers what they need, you know, just like a company would do. That's interesting. I've done that too for, uh, I teach and, uh, the kids who put their name on it, they always say nice things. Cause I think there's a power dynamic too that you kind of have, if you do a survey, you're like, okay, they know I control their grades. So they want to like butter up or whatever. But then the, mm. the, but then that 5% or 2% that are anonymous, Ooh, they light me up. But I, oh, but yeah. I think that the, the principle though, is that your players feel like you're sincere and you're earnest and you're trying, um, mm. you know, there, I don't think there is like a perfect way to do that. But I, I think, I think that no, I said, I, I've tried so many different things. Sure. But I think that the, the principle though, is that you're trying, you know, you're, you're not just mm -hmm. that like coach stuck in 1979, you know, sitting in the chair in the weight room, barking at everybody, you know, <laughs> tell, telling all the Gen Zers how soft they are. It's not going to help them play better. Um, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, man, this has been awesome. Okay. Um, where were we? Okay. Uh, any favorite books you've come across that have helped uh, you feel have helped your coaching or life? Um, I would say just everything by Simon Sinek is like incredibly interesting. Um, leaders eat last start with why. Uh, and I think like that has probably like influenced me the most in my you know, in my interview prep and in my, the way I approach my philosophy and the way I approach recruiting and stuff like that. Uh, and his big thing is like, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. You know, the reason that Apple has taken off compared to Blackberry and some of the other, you know, companies that they Dell, all, all those ones that now we think of are like outdated is because they were always talking about think different and like, they, they made you believe that they, they, they were showing you the future. You know what I mean? Um, and then you had people that, that bought into it uh, and everyone had, or like people had iPhones and I was one that like, I didn't want an iPhone for the longest time. And then my dad got an iPhone, my sister got an iPhone and I'm hearing about how great the iPhone is. And eventually I just had to cross over. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm a really, really big believer that 
you have to start with why. Uh, and like I said, like for me, that's like the camaraderie. It's the, the, the just being there for the kids, helping them grow and, and mentor them. Uh, and anytime I'm lost in my journey or questioning what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, like I have to go back to my why and understand, okay, like this, why, why this is a part of the process. So uh, I think everything by him has been super, super influential for me. You know, he's super op optimistic. Uh, so I, I know people kind of don't like that, but uh, I, I'm a big believer uh, in just, you know, understanding your why and, and just like living it and then sharing it with people. Yeah. So next got some great books. Um, he reminds me of, yeah, I mean like those, like him, Tim Ferriss. Um, yeah. The, the one thing, all those books, like I've never met a coach or I've never met a good coach who hasn't developed some kind of like regular reading practice as well. Um, can you talk about, um, I think what, and I use last chance you, cause it's obviously the, the most recent thing. A lot of people have probably watched with sports, but you look at guys, I don't know if you saw the most recent season with coach Mosley out the, the Juco basketball team or whatever, but, um, most of the time, like, yeah, there's like football and basketball, but really what the, what's why sports are interesting is the relationships. Um, and, and I found, and I think, I think coaching, kind of like you said, coaching attracts optimists. You would not spend your days with 18 to 22 year olds, unless you saw the best in them and you saw somebody that they might become and what you wanted to help them get there. Um, the reality though, is like, you think you're going to like save the world and like save every kid and reach every kid at a hundred man roster, but maybe you only really reach like five or three of them a year. But like for those five or three, you like, you change their world or they change yours. Um, do you, is there a particular player that comes to mind for you that you like worked really hard with um, and that you feel like you had some kind of a breakthrough with because as teachers and coaches, there's always that like one kid that like, like, you know, you're, you're like, if I could just reach that kid, um, do you have a story like that, that like fuels you up to go? I don't know if I have like a particular story, you know, like obviously sure. you get really close to all, all the, the guys that you work with. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, one of the, the first kids that I ever coached uh, who like really bought into like what I was teaching, he lives out in Cleveland and I saw him for like the first time in 10 years, like, you know, uh, probably like two months ago. And like the way that he was just like, Hey, like, you know, the, I never loved football the way I did until like I met you and like how like I, I had like this great influence on him was just like, so like, you know, just euphoric and it just makes you feel like it's, it's all worth it. Um, I, I guess the closest thing I could say to like feeling like I really like changed somebody's life. And like, I don't, I don't know if I've done that. Like I, I do get a kick out of like anytime, like if someone like, especially when I was working at sinus, I was living in the Philadelphia area someone was driving through and they call me for lunch or something like that. I felt like, you know, I'd done something for them. Um, but my first year at, at our sinus, uh, we were their sinus bears and uh, our players used to throw this party called the bear crawl, which, you know, they bounced from house to house around campus. Uh, and our senior captain defensive end who, you know, I was coaching D-line at the time, apparently bought like $2,000 worth of alcohol and just made a really, really dumb decision the cops found out it was like this, this whole ordeal. Um, and, you know, and I think it was like a night before the game or a couple of nights before the game. So it became like this really, really big distraction for the coaches. We were sitting in on these meetings when we should have been game planning. So we're, we're frustrated. 
like with him and like his his decision and so we like call him down to talk to him about it and you know kind of being a kid like you know it's a party we do every year like just not playing up the importance of it uh, and you know we were kind of sitting there like talking about like oh, all right what what can we do about it should we suspend them should we do this should we do that keep in mind like this kid's like you know two-time all-american by far our best player and i remember being like we need to let him go like we need to take football away from him because football is the only thing that that he cares about and like by losing football he will learn a life lesson and like I, I think like sometimes you need that devastation to, to really learn something. So like we called him in, we were talking to him about, Hey, like, you know, we're going to have to let you go, blah, blah. And like, he just started breaking down and crying. Like, and like, I think that's when he finally realized that like, you know, this, this is bigger than football. This is a, a life choice. This is something that, you know, if someone leaves this party and gets alcohol poisoning or gets in a car and does something stupid, like, you know, I'm at fault. Um, and, we didn't end up taking football away from him. We suspended him, but it was that threat and that understanding that like, Hey, like this can translate into something bigger. Um, that I think that that was probably the, the one time that like right there. And then like, I saw that, you know, we changed the course of his life. So, um, don't have any like great ones yet, hopefully uh, along the way. But some of them you, you might never know about, you know, but, True. but I think, but I, yeah, I think uh, you you have to take, I had this like teacher mentor once when I first started teaching and I used to teach in a pretty rough school where there was like fights every day and the cops would come and like she, <laughs> she was like, the cops would just come and broke up a fight and she's just kind of like staring out the window and I'm like, oh man, because we used to fill out paperwork for this fight that just happened. I'm like, what are you doing? She's looking out the window watching like, you know, uh, one of the one of the upperclassmen like walk his little brother to the car who came to watch him play football. And she's like, I'm, I'm just taking my moment for like two seconds. I was like, what, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Like your moment. And she was like, look, it, if you teach long enough, if you coach long enough, you're going to find like, it, it's easy to let bad days pile up and you have to every day before I go to bed, I like say, okay, what was my moment today that like made it worth all the, all the baloney that I just went through. Um, mm-hmm. But Yeah. That's a cool story about your, your player. Uh, and I think we don't understand how much sports mean to kids and, until they get taken away. Um, closing out, um, one piece of advice, knowing what you know now, what would be one piece of advice you would have wished you had told yourself when you first started coaching? Um, I think, honestly, it would just be like, be yourself. You know what I mean? Um, like I said, I, I came out hot. I, I wanted to be every coach that I'd seen on TV, the coaches that I had. Uh, and it took me a couple of years to, to realize that like, I can stay true to me and have a profound impact on these kids. Uh, and like professionally, like I can be myself and, you know, show that I, 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 I belong. You know what I mean? I think, uh, you know, especially as a young coach, you're, you're really insecure. You know, you're trying to fit in with the older coaches. You're trying to climb up the ladder. Um, so you're, you're trying to appeal to who they are, you know, what they not, I, I mean, you have to fall in line if they're your offense coordinator or, or whatever. Um, but being too much like them and, and not being like yourself. Um, so I, I think, you know, if you're doing a great job with your kids and, and your kids are getting better, not only as football players, but as people, you're going to be successful. And, you know, wherever you end up coaching at whatever level, um 
and you know the right opportunity will come along when it does. One thing I forgot to go back to, um, you taught you had a, a pretty popular post regarding how ridiculous some football internships tend to be in terms of like, I guess we, we won't get into the specifics of that, but that, that is like feedback that you hear about coaching at that, like to just get in the door, it is like a real like meat grinder and it's really hard mm-hmm. to, to kind of get any traction. Um, can you kind of talk about, I guess, your view of like the coaching internship to assistant pipeline? Cause like, I guess, yeah. Cause it, it, anyway, I'll let you take it. Yeah. Uh, college football and not, I'm sure the NFL too, mm-hmm. uh, is the best job in the world, but it is the worst profession. Um, it is incredibly, incredibly hard to, to break into. You need to know somebody or get lucky or, or something, um, just to have that, that in to, to go and make $5,000 a year, $10,000 a year. Um, and then to, to move up is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Again, like it's, it's all about who, you know, whether like your coach is going to give you a great recommendation or, you know, they're getting hired somewhere else and they're going to bring you along. Um, you know, it's, it's really amazing. Like uh, a few months ago, I was working on like this kind of this project um, called stay in the fight. It was a podcast where I was interviewing coaches and asking them, you know, like how they got to where they were. And like, there are so many amazing stories. Uh, One coach wrote a a letter to, uh, oh man, I'm like Mike Leach uh, while he was at Texas tech and then drove down to Key West, spent like a week with them. And then when he got the job at uh, Eastern, I guess he had just gotten fired. Then he got the job at, uh, at Washington State, like drove out and was like, coach, like I'm here and like I'm, I'm going to work for you. And he volunteered for like six months uh, before actually like, you know, signing on and, and working for him. Um, I've also heard stories about uh, a, a guy who, who was working a JUCO job. He ended up getting let go. And while he was kind of just hanging out, he started coaching quarterbacks, putting that stuff on Twitter. And Billy Napier follows him, likes a couple of his posts. He messages, messages Billy Napier. And again, very similar, like takes a, a couple like quarterback videos. And now he's like the quarterback analyst there. So um, you really, really have to be lucky. Uh, you really have to grind for a long time unless you get lucky early. Um, but it is, it has to be a labor of love. You can't do it for the money because the, the, the guys that you see making $7 million a year are very, very few and far between. There are many more people making $7,000 a year. So it's, it's crazy. Yeah. That's like such a paradox because we think of, we think of football as like this, like bastion of merit, right? Like the best Mm -hmm. team wins, work hard, good things happen. And, but there's plenty of college coaches waste not wasting away but just grinding themselves to dust like bankrupting their personal lives to like make their coaching dream happen who you know that call might never come to go coach at Ole Miss or whatever um that so that's is that podcast still up is that something people listening could go check out uh it's still up but I unfortunately ran out of SoundCloud hours um so I stopped (laughs) doing it but uh, when I finally go full-time again, uh, I will probably be doing it again, just because I said every story that I heard was so amazing and they're so different. Um, and it makes you realize that like, even the coaches who you think had it easy or had, even if they had an in, 
still had to struggle and sure. lived on somebody else's couch for, you know, two years or something like that. So um, there, there's a bunch of unique, crazy stories out there. Yeah. I mean, even take like, like Bill Belichick, right? Like, I think he, he got, he got fired by the lions or whatever. And then he just kind of knew somebody who knew somebody who knew Bill Parcells and um, yeah, that's wild. Well, yeah, I, we can talk about that later, but yeah, if you're listening guys, definitely check it out. It's called stay in the fight. Uh, and I think it's up on SoundCloud. And this is the last question. If people want to get in touch with you, I know you got thousands of messages. What's the best way that they could get in touch with you. So they're not being spammy, but they're, but they're saying hi. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can hit me up on Twitter. I, I open up random ones. As I said, I, I'm much more likely to answer a, a coach. Um, my Instagram actually isn't as dis- like just completely ridiculous as, as Twitter. So uh, it will that, be that after this be a, a, a good way. Um, but then like, I, I mean, I also have a bunch of stuff on like TikTok and stuff like that about how you should message coaches. Like don't hit them up with the, Hey coach, I'm a dog or something like that. Like Give them the, the information that they need, you know, your name, your school, your GPA, position, all that type of stuff. Um, and just, you know, do it with class because you only got one one chance to make a first impression. Awesome. All right, guys. Uh, we'll cut that there. Hang on one second. Stop recording. And here's the out. Thanks for listening to the Coach Cahill Show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment.